Welcome again. Thank you for being here. We are so grateful that you are here this morning. If you are a mother, we want to honor you. We appreciate so much the great joy that you bring to life, and thank you for all that you are. And we are so grateful for the fact that you are a treasure, and we've been blessed in so many ways. And so for all that you do, there's no way that we could adequately put into words what you mean to us and what you mean to the human family, but I do want you to know that you are valued by those of us who live in this life, and it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Everybody, everybody has a mama, and everybody ought to love their mama, and so we're grateful for that. Thank you again for being here. If you're visiting with us, we encourage you to come back. We'd love to have you again. It may be that you're looking for a church home, and we would be delighted if you would become a part of the work here. It would be a tremendous blessing to us if you would join hands with us in our work. In our lesson today, we're going to be talking about the theme, Without a Shadow of Doubt. If I were to ask you two questions, I suspect I could probably say beforehand how you would answer them. Number one, how many of us here today have been convicted that we are in sin or that we are sinful? I would imagine that all of us would, for the most part, agree sin is a problem in the human family and personally, it is a problem that we all grapple with. I think about the words of Paul when he said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The second question, however, is on the other end of the spectrum. And here it is. How confident are you that you're saved? Now, I'm talking specifically to those of us who have obeyed the gospel. At some point in time, we became convicted that sin was a reality and that we needed a Redeemer, and so we obeyed the gospel. But the flip side of that is, how convicted are we that we have been saved and that we are saved? And listen, I want us to live without a shadow of doubt. I do not believe for one minute that God wants us to live wondering, worrying about our salvation. But rather, if we are children of God and if we have done what God has said we're to do, we ought to have resolve and confidence that our relationship with God is intact. And we ought to live without a shadow of a doubt. And so, with that in mind, I want to direct your attention to the book of 1 John. 1 John is a tremendous study. Five chapters. And John there is writing to New Testament Christians. And John is emphasizing the relationship that we have with the Lord and the great blessings that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. And the fact that in Christ we can live with a sense of joy, fullness of joy, as he would say in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. So I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the personhood 
of Christ. And I want to just very quickly emphasize this fact. Everything that we're going to be talking about is going to tie back to the personhood of Christ. We've got to have an understanding about the Lord in order for us to appreciate the confidence that we're to have in Him. So first and foremost, let's just talk for a minute or two about the personhood of Christ. And John, in this great book, begins by providing what I would call testimony. The testimony of saints. That is, the testimony of God's people. And so when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, John begins his book by really underscoring the eternal nature of the Christ. You remember he said, that which was from the beginning, that's the Christ. The one who had no beginning, no ending. As John would say in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So we're talking about the Christ. But what John is going to say to all of us today is that there are some things about the Christ that we can bank upon. Number one, he said, we heard Him. That is audible perception. John said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Down in verse 3, two times in three verses, John stresses the fact that we heard Him. You know, there are those of us today that quite possibly have testified on behalf of another person. And maybe we have said, listen, I heard it with my own ears. Well, John could say as an apostle, we have heard the Lord. You remember the apostle Peter, when asked by the Lord on one occasion, will you also go away? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life eternal. Something resonated in the life of Peter for him to affirm that great fact. And then there's a second thing. John not only says that we heard Him, but he said we also saw Him. He said we have seen Him with our eyes. We have looked upon Him. Down in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. So now we're talking about visible perception. Not only did they hear the Lord Jesus Christ with their ears, but they saw Him with their eyes. Now, there are a lot of people today that question the Christ. And there are many people that question the historical accuracy of the Christ. Well, here you have an inspired apostle. And John is saying, look, we heard him and we saw him. But then there is a third key thought here. And that is, John said, we touched him. Our hands have handled him. So now we're talking about tactile perception. They heard Him, they saw Him, and they touched Him. So what's John trying to say to us? He's saying that Jesus was not a phantom, but rather we can put our faith and trust in the historical Jesus, that He was a bona fide figure in human history. Now there were those who doubted the fact that sinless deity could come and inhabit human flesh. But you remember John said, the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. In John chapter 1, verse 14. Now there's a second thought tied to what we're talking about. First, the testimony of the saints. But then secondly, the testimony of the Savior. What about Jesus? Did Jesus understand His role in coming to earth? Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 10, down in about verse 5, the Hebrew writer is quoting the psalmist, Psalm 40. And so with regard to the faithful work of the Christ, the Lord said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I come to do your will, O God. Jesus came to earth with a mission. That mission was to seek and to save the lost. The Lord Jesus made no bones about His work. You remember in John chapter 4, verse 34, He said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. In John chapter 6, verse 38, He said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So the Lord Jesus was going to be faithful to the work that was put before Him. But now, there's a second thought, and I think this is critical to our understanding with regard to the confidence that we have in Christ. And that is the finished work of Christ. We have to come to appreciate the finished work of Jesus if we're going to have any kind of confidence in our salvation. Well, what about the finished work of Christ? Do you remember Jesus in the shadow of the cross in John 19? When He said, I have glorified you on the earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is on the cross, dying for the sins of humanity. And the Lord Jesus cried from the cross and said, It is finished. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2, at verse 9, Jesus tasted death, listen to this, for every man. So the Lord Jesus shed His blood for our sins. Matter of fact, in Matthew 26, prior to His crucifixion, He partook of the Passover with His disciples. And you remember on that occasion, He instituted that memorial feast known as the Lord's Supper. And the Lord Jesus said, This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So we got to understand that when Jesus paid the price on Calvary, our debt in sin was fully paid. Fully paid. I think about the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when he said, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or Peter, when he said that Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Now that's the one we're talking about. And you remember in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the Hebrew writer said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The blood of bulls and goats, all of those Old Testament sacrifices, were insufficient in the sense they could not remedy the problem of sin in the most absolute sense of the word. When Jesus went to Calvary, though, you remember the Hebrew writer quotes Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. 
And Jeremiah saw the day when God would establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and their iniquities. Listen to him. I will remember no more. Now, keep all that tucked away for a minute. Let's think now, secondly, about the provisions that we enjoy in Christ. When I think about the fact that we are to live without a shadow of a doubt, there are some things that we ought to be absolutely certain about. We call it surety, or to use another term, security. Can I feel secure in my relationship to the Lord? Can I be secure when it comes to my eternal salvation? The answer is a resounding yes. We can feel secure in our relationship to the Lord. So I want to begin by talking about our confidence in Christ. Now in 1 John chapter 1, you remember John said, This is the message, that God is light, in, in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, He said we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. There are two thoughts I want you to consider here. Number one, the condition set forth for our cleansing. And John spelled it out in 1 John 1, verse 7. Here it is. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. So what then is the condition wherein I can know for a fact that my life is intact with God in Christ? Very simple. Walk in the light. All that means is that we are walking in harmony with the will of God. You remember what he said over in chapter 2, verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Wasn't it John who said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome or grievous. The condition wherein I can maintain a level of confidence in Christ and my relationship with Him is that I am doing my best to walk in the light, to live in harmony with the Word of God. Now there is a second thought here. First, the condition for our cleansing, and then secondly, the constancy of our cleansing. And this is a, what I would call problematic for a lot of folks. Because... Many times in the church, we fail to understand the adequacy of the blood of Christ and the constancy of that blood working on our behalf. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, listen again to what John said. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That means 24-7, day in, day out, the blood of Jesus is operating in my life. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. And herein lies the challenge in Christ. The challenge is the reality of our fallibility. We are not perfect, are we? 
And that's, I think, really the dilemma that we face sometimes. What robs us of our confidence or security in Christ is that we see ourselves as fallible people, individuals who sometimes say or do things, we stumble, we fall, we hurt over things that we have done that maybe we know we should have never done. But we are fallible people. We're not imperfect people, are we? Or we're, rather, we're not perfect people, but rather we are imperfect people. And if we were perfect, we wouldn't need Christ, nor would we need His blood. And so to understand, first and foremost, that I'm not perfect. And that there are going to be times in life when I do stumble and fall. There are going to be times in my life when I wonder, why can I not get it right? The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about those besetting sins. There are things that are problematic in our life. Things that we're constantly trying to put to death, but we shouldn't give up and wave the white flag. It's not one sin and we're done. But rather it's all about attitude, penitence. Now, let me call attention to a second thought here. The remedy for our fallibility. God knows you inside out. knows me as well. God understands the nature of life. God understands and knows our heart, doesn't He? And God knows whether or not we're trying to the best of our ability to walk and to live in harmony with Him. And that's what we're talking about right now. Listen, I appreciate those of you who are so conscientious, who have a heart's desire to do what's right, I'm thankful for faithful mothers in this congregation. Mothers that sit side by side with their children, who nurture them and love them and care for them and teach them. And our goal is to rear our children in the Lord. We want to see them in heaven. And that's our goal. But let's just think for a moment or two about this remedy. The remedy for our fallibility is set forth by the Apostle John. He said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now just drop down and look at chapter 2 for a minute. In chapter 2, John said, My little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not. All right, so here's the divine ideal that we rise above sin. When we became a Christian, we died to the love and the practice of sin. You remember what Paul asked in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Why? Because we've died to that old way of life. We have said that we're not going to walk in darkness. We're not going to live a life that is outside the will of God. But rather our goal is to live in Christ, to abide in Him, to do His will day in and day out. So John said that you sin not, but he said if any man sins, let him know that he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Let's just pause there for a minute. What John is saying is 
that God has provided for us a remedy for our fallibility. When we make mistakes and say and do things and when we're not what we ought to be, the remedy is we can go before the throne of God, acknowledge our wrongdoing, and in acknowledging our wrongdoing, ask for forgiveness and what happens? The Bible says God forgives, doesn't He? The picture in 1 John chapter 2 is that of an advocate, an attorney, if you please. And here's Jesus standing before the bar of heaven. And He is standing on my behalf. And He is pleading my case before the Father. So what then is the means by which I enjoy justification, forgiveness? It is the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when we talk about our confidence or living without a shadow of a doubt, it all goes back to the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. And if we don't understand something about the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we will be miserable in our Christian life. And listen, I know that there are some folks that, you know, they wake up today, they feel saved. They go to bed at night and they feel like they're lost. They get up the next morning, they still feel lost. And then over the course of the day, they start thinking, you know what, I, I think I'm saved. Listen, that's not how the blood of Christ operates. What John is saying is the blood of Jesus is constantly keeping us clean from sin, thereby in enabling us to enjoy a relationship with the Father day in and day out. We don't have to worry about that without a shadow of a doubt. I mentioned this Wednesday night. I want to just mention it again. Back just a few years ago, a friend of mine was dying with cancer. And he had been a mentor to me, an encourager. And he was diagnosed with cancer. 18 months later, he succumbed to that disease. I visited with him in his home two months before he died. And, you know, when you understand your mortality, that has a way of kind of crystallizing things, doesn't it? You see with much greater clarity what's before you. I never will, I never will forget him talking to me about what did it be like on the other side? And he and I were both talking about, you know, wonder what it will be like, etc. And he said, you know, I have come to believe that it is all about trusting or having confidence that the blood of Christ will do what God said it will do. And I said, you know what, that's it. What is it that gives me confidence so that I can live without a shadow of a doubt. It is the confidence that the blood of Jesus will do what He promised it will do. And what is that? Keep me saved. It will keep me in a relationship with the Lord. Day in, day out. Month in, month out. Year in, year out. So that when I stand before God, I have the confidence that all is well with my soul. Now, there is a third thing I want to share with you in our study very quickly. And it has to do with our promises in Christ. I want us to just very quickly look at some of the clear statements of Scripture. 
some of the clear statements set forth by the Lord with regard to our relationship to Him. Now, first and foremost, I want to just say we need to trust in the promises of the Savior, don't we? Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So I understand that the Lord has promised those of us who are His disciples that He has a place waiting on us called an eternal abiding place. Now you can start sifting through the scriptures and you're going to find affirmation after affirmation with regard to the hope of life eternal. For example, in Titus chapter 1, Titus said that those of us who belong to God, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. And then Think about what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 6. That God cannot lie. So we can take the statements of our Lord. We can look at what He has said time and again and conclude that when God makes a promise, He holds true to that promise, doesn't He? Now, there's a couple of other thoughts I want to share with you very quickly in relationship to this. And herein lies, I believe, to be Another problem. That is, it's one thing for us to look at some of the crystal clear passages in the Bible. To examine what Jesus said, to examine what the Word says. But I want to encourage us to lay claim to the promises of God. Will you do that this week? Will you lay Will you lay claim to the promises that are outlined in the Scriptures? Well, what do I mean by that? Number one, we have to learn to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You know, Solomon said many, many years ago, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. Think about, for example, the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul said, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul is saying, look, I have learned to trust God. We've got to learn to trust in the Lord. And then I would tag it with a second thought. We have to learn to trust in the Word of the Lord. Listen, if God says it, then He meant it. And if He has promised it, we can claim it, can't we? And one of the reasons why we live with uncertainty and wonder about our salvation, our relationship to the Lord, is because, number one, we haven't learned to trust implicitly in the Lord. And number two, we haven't learned to trust in the Word of the Lord. Now you look, for example, at the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul encountered a lot of different things in life, didn't he? And yet one of the things that really stands out above all things in my mind about Paul 
was the tremendous confidence that he had. I mean, we're talking about a guy that lived without a shadow of a doubt. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, we know that if this earthly tent, this tabernacle, that is this body of clay, body of dust, if it be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Two times, if I recall correctly, in chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about, he said, we are confident. Was Paul confident in his relationship to the Lord? The answer to that is yes. When John wrote to Christians in the first century, did he want God's people to feel confident and secure in their relationship? Yes, he did. Did he want them to live without a shadow of a doubt? Yes. How do I know that? Because over in chapter 5, you remember what he said? This is a record, this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you. What things? The things in this book. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now listen to this. That you might know, K-N-O-W, that you might know that you have eternal life and that you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John said, look, I'm writing these things. Matter of fact, in chapter 2, verse 25, he said, this is the promise He's promised us. What's that promise? Eternal life. So if God promised it, if God said it, can I claim it? Yes. You know what our problem is sometimes? This is just my opinion. I could be wrong. But I really believe that sometimes the fault lies in the fact that we have not learned to trust in the promises of Almighty God. And so when I talked about the Christ and some of His qualities and characteristics, our confidence, living without a shadow of a doubt, all goes back to our understanding of Jesus, His death on Calvary, the shedding of His blood, and the benefits that we enjoy as a result of that. John wants us to live with confidence. wants us to live without a shadow of a doubt. So when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you remember he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And then he said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I can just see Paul walking out to meet the executioner. I don't think Paul was worried. I don't think he trembled. I don't think in his mind it was what if, hope so, maybe. No, I think it was confidence. That as soon as my head is severed from my body, I will be in the presence of God. He lived without a shadow of a doubt, and we need to live the same. So how do we do that? Trust in the Lord and trust in the Word of the Lord. You know, whether we like it or not, one day we're all going to have to grapple with our own mortality. I don't like to think about it. And yet I understand as time marches on, I'm closer and closer to that day. So when my time is gone here on planet Earth, when your time is gone, 
Don't you want to feel victorious in Christ? Don't you want to feel like the life that you have lived has not been lived in vain? That your life has not been shrouded in hope so, think so, maybe so, no, but rather there is this iron-clad faith that says, I believe. My trust is in God and in God alone. And my trust is in the promises of God outlined in the Scriptures. My God has promised me eternal life. I'm walking in the light. And because of that, I know. Doesn't matter what time, doesn't matter what month, what day of the week, no matter what. When my time on earth is finished, I'll be in the presence of God. Now listen, that's confidence. And that's what we need. If you're here today, and let's just say you're not a Christian. You've never obeyed the gospel. Could I encourage you to become a child of God? to put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Son, to recognize that sin is a reality and that He has provided the means of escape through His blood. Well, what would you need to do? You need to repent of your sins. Pentecost Day, Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For what reason? For the remission, the forgiveness of your sins. God will then put you in the church, which is the house of the saved. The beauty is if you walk in the light as He is in the light, that blood will operate day in and day out. And One day you'll stand before God and hear Him say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, maybe you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. You've been born again. You're a part of the family of God but you're not living as you should. Could we encourage you to allow us the privilege of praying with you and for you? You remember what John said, 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can leave here today knowing all is well with our soul. Won't you come as we stand and sing?